What's up, everybody? How's it going? My name is Bor Milo. And I'm Ralph Finarelli. And this is the 52 Podcast, 52 books, 52 weeks, making every single week count. For those of you that are new, thank you so much for joining us. What we do here is we read a book a week, usually about business or psychology or marketing or whatever it may be, and we bring you guys the keynotes in the form of a short podcast. Uh, for those of you that are returning, thank you guys so much for coming back for another uh, another episode. We're on episode 63 uh, this week, and we have read the book called The, the Customer Centricity Playbook by Peter Fader and Sarah Toms. Um, just off the top... Solid book. I thought it was a solid book. I thought there was some really good information in there. It was pretty easy, pretty quick read. Um, it was only like five hours long, four and a half hours long. And uh, it was not super outdated, but it was you know from three years ago, and marketing and business changes on a daily basis. So uh, I think that there are probably some newer books around this topic. However, I think this was a really solid one. Um, it's also from uh, the Wharton School Press, which is uh, the school Wharton School of Business. So you really can't go wrong with something along these lines. Rossi, off the top, what do you think? Just kind of basic overview, basic uh, thought around it. What do you think? Pretty good. Um, very easy book. But yeah, I think it's, like I said, we'll dive into a moment. But yeah, a lot of things that I think can feel almost common uh, or like common sense in a way, but a way that puts it into more perspective and easier to kind of implement in your own life. But all in all, very good book. Very easy, I would say. Yeah, so let's just kind of get straight into it. Um, this book is all about customer centricity. It's all about uh, putting the customer first, less product-centric business practices, more about creating the experience, creating um, you know relationships with customers that are going to, to you know live a long, long time. Right? It's about uh, it's about the lifetime of, of your customer. And remind me what what was the what was the acronym that they used? I'm spacing right now, Ross. It was. Uh, Life, lifelong customer. Do you remember what the acronym was? Uh, what do you mean, lifelong customer? Yeah. They they had a, an acronym that they used for, to describe a, a lifelong or the the length of time in which a customer is. Like customer you know, lifetime value. That's that's that was it. Customer I was gonna say when you went value. the other one, CL, I was like CLV. Uh, I was like, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't think of it. I totally spaced there for a second. But um, the book is all about kind of creating a situation where you're going going to have the most value come out of um, your CLV. And in addition to that, they talked a lot about you know CRM systems and the, the value in CRM systems and how to get the most out of them um, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So, I mean, what, what do you think was your number one takeaway from the entire book? I think, honestly, it kind of really goes into that customer lifetime value. I mean, it, they, they talked about a lot of different companies, you know, from Amazon and some other ones, but you know, it really makes you take your mind away from just thinking as customers as a single transaction and then going on to the next. You know, it really highlights the importance of not only getting that first sale, but doing things that can not only acquire that customer, but maintain it, retain your customer, and then kind of develop tactics to be able to continue that process going forward. So for me, I think that was one of the biggest things is just looking at a customer as more than just a single sale and you may never see them again. And I think this is something that Moore and I are actually rather used to um, when we sold cars because a lot of people would look at when you're buying a car as I'm going to sell them a car and I'll never see them again. You know, but Moore and I were very good at building this referral system to understand that, you know, this customer not only is going to buy a car, but, you know, can come back in a few years, buy another one. They can have friends, family. Um, so there's a lot more 
actually at stake, I would say, than just selling the initial purchase. You know what I mean? Understanding that there's a lot more that can come with it. And if you look at it like that, you might value your customer more and understand that you really need to make your customer the most important thing in the world, essentially, to a point where um, it just makes you look differently at, at each individual that you may be uh, contacting. I don't know. What did you think? So what I really liked about this book was it actually had a lot a lot to do with what they were talking about last week um, in our company of one book, that another great book. They were kind of talking about how growth has become the only in, the only um, you know way or variable to measure when it comes to how, the value of a company, how quickly you're growing, how many acquisitions you're creating, how many sales you have, your revenue, et cetera, et cetera. What I really loved about this book was that they kind of took a step back from that and said, okay, there's you're only going to reach a certain level of growth to where your acquisitions are going to start to be less valuable to your company, right? And I love the idea of not necessarily only focusing on how can I get the next customer, but how can I continue to drive this brand to the next level? How can I continue to earn those customers that have already believed in what I do, continue to earn their business over the life, uh, over their life, over their entire life, right? Like continuing to be um, an advocate for those customers that are coming back to you consistently and building into your brand. Uh, so I like that a lot. Uh, another thing I really enjoyed about this whole book um, was just the idea around really focusing on the customer experience, um, really diving into how you can create the best product for uh, your customer and not worrying necessarily about what the newest, best and newest product is out there. And a great, a great topic that they brought up with was the you know, Samsung-Apple battle. You know, people that buy into an Apple product or buy into a Samsung product don't switch. They really don't. It doesn't really matter to them what Samsung has put out, what's their newest and greatest application or their newest and greatest feature. They really buy into the brand because it's, it's part of their lifestyle. And realizing that it's not always about having the best product. Sometimes it's about creating the best experience for a customer. And if you can do that at a high level, then you win. You know, it's really that simple. So in addition to that main point that I kind of went over there about customer centricity and, and building a brand that customers want to flock to um, as opposed to the next biggest and greatest product uh, was a really interesting topic about CRM systems. I liked what they had to say about CRM systems. I'm a big fan of CRM. I, when we were in the car business, I, I my CRM was my Saving Grace, uh, Dealer Socket, shout out, love you guys, you guys did a great job. Um, their CRM is so huge and so underrated, um, and companies like Salesforce are killing it right now with their CRMs, but they brought up a point about how businesses really need to optimize their CRM systems to get the most out of them. Um, and if you're not really in connection with the CRM provider and creating a method that's going to match up with your business practice, you're not using it to its full capacity. You know, there's so much available in regards to the data and how you mine for it, as well as you know how you organize and create those relationships, and then you know manage those relationships through your CRM system. And I really don't think that companies out there are taking the time to make it unique to their business. You know, I think that that a lot of companies out there are just picking up CRMs and saying, "Okay, here you go, salespeople. Here you go, marketing team. Here you go, X, Y, and Z." 
good luck. Whereas if you were really to take the time and dial in your CRM system in a way that would allow your employees, your operators in your business to take their, their whatever task they're doing, take that to the next level and have a more unique data set for those people to work, I think it'll be much more effective. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like I said, you really you really touched on it. First off, I agree. Shout out DealerSocket. Um, I actually Great use product. Salesforce now, but DealerSocket was actually better, in my opinion, for letting me know when I had a call to make. Um, right now, I'm actually still playing around with different ways in our system to be able to set reminders to call this person every few days or whatever. Uh, DealerSocket killed that. I mean, that was the absolute best. Um I think another important note to to touch on, and I think this book did a great job of highlighting it, is understanding that not all customers are the same. You know, regardless how they appear on the surface, you know, a lot of the most successful companies, whether it be, you know, Amazon, or they talked about Best Buy as well, you know, understanding that each person requires a different kind of acquisition, development, and like retention effort. Because like you said, it's one thing to spend all this money to acquire a customer, right? But it's a whole nother game plan to work to retain this. And when I think of companies like this, I honestly think of uh, Amazon because if you have an issue, Amazon will take your return back, refund you, whatever, no questions asked. Because let's be real to Amazon, they don't care about 15, $20, right? Because if you're doing everything right and you're in the Amazon ecosystem, you're paying X amount of dollars for Amazon prime, you know, you might be using their Prime Video, you might be using their music service, you might be using Amazon Fresh, you're making a lot of other purchases online, whether it be just throughout the year or through the holidays, and they're making more than enough money on all those other purchases. So for them to kind of harp on a $10, $20 return could really kill your experience. And one thing I always talk about with Amazon, they do a phenomenal job of telling you your package will show up on Friday and it shows up on Thursday. And you were just ecstatic. You know what I mean? So custom, or companies that really take the time to put their uh, customers number one and really care about not only the current moment with that, but understanding the future that you have with this client, building that relationship, I think goes a long way. Yeah, oh, under promise. Under, no worries. <laughs> under promise and over deliver 100%. That's such a huge, huge model to live by. And it's funny that you brought that up. Uh, it's funny that it's funny that you brought that up because literally, you know, I'm here with my girl and she just ordered some stuff on Amazon uh, from Whole Foods and it was supposed to get here at like nine and it showed up at seven and we looked at it and we're like, wow, how did it get here this early? So very true, hundred percent. Under you know, under promise, over deliver. Massive, massive quote to live by. Um, what I found rather intriguing uh, was the fact that they go they they completely and totally denounced demographic based marketing. That was very interesting to me. Uh, the fact that they were so wholeheartedly against the idea of demographic marketing and persona-based um, you know, analysis was really interesting. Because I don't know, we spent a lot of time doing personas with, with Pedal and doing all sorts of fun things about demographic marketing. And they have some good points. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really hard to take a data set, generalize a particular customer... And then expect every one of those people to answer, to, to answer or respond or, you know, engage in the same way. You know, just because Pam and Sam are both, 
you know, X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that they're both going to respond and engage with the same type of content or the same type of messaging. And I thought that was really enlightening. Um, and, and I think that it's really, you touched on it, right, with the idea that not every customer is made the same. And no matter what you do, you can't really put a customer in a box. You can't say, okay, we're going to make, you know, five different advertisements and go after those different types of people and this different one for African Americans, one for Asians, one for like, it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. You know, every person is unique and you really have to drill down on what it is that you're providing to the customer that's more inclusive and less based on, you know, parameters that we've thought were the best to, to address. You know what I mean? So I found that very interesting. Um, we did a lot of persona stuff. What did you think about that, Ross? Because we spent a lot of time looking at personas, creating you know, brand messaging, creating all sorts of different things in that way with, with Tom. Tom is phenomenal and also believes in you know, the older method because that's what he knows. But you know, what, what are your thoughts on that kind of different outlook on marketing and getting in front of your customer and creating a customer-centric business? You know, when it comes to, like I said, marketing like that, it, it really is. It really is true that, you know, your entire customer set is not the same. And, you know, and that can even be if you're just even like a water bottle company. You know, you're not just going to be selling to just the person who loves to go hiking. I mean, you can have people who just want something to, to take to work and back. I mean, there's so many different people who use a product or use a service that you do. You have to make a lot of different creatives. You have to test a lot of different audiences. Um... A lot of things that work out very well now are, you know, what we do, at least like when we talk about like Snapchat and, and Facebook and, and marketing when it comes to programmatic, is we try to drive traffic to your website, right? And we'll start off with a broad awareness um, campaign. So, and it's really broad. It, it, there's really not much. Maybe you're doing a few demographics when it comes to age or even location, but nothing too crazy. And then what you do is you see actually who is resonating the most with your creative and your message and your product, and then all this traffic comes to your website. You do that for a little bit of time, and then what you're able to do is build lookalike audiences. So you're able to let the sophisticated algorithms run and find commonalities between the 1,000, 2,000 people that came to your website. And then what it's doing is it's kind of doing what we're talking about. It's trying to find these crazy links that seem to be a commonality. Now, obviously, none of that is going to be perfect, but it does show that, like I so said, when we are doing these campaigns and different things, um, it is important to, to reach out to different people. Now, when it comes to retention, retention actually is probably one of the easier ones as far as executing um, when it comes to creating campaigns. It's very easy to retarget somebody with an ad the moment they've left your website. I mean, everyone who's done this, whether it be on Amazon or in any other product, you click on a website, you're looking at, you know, let's say soccer cleats, right? And then 20 minutes later, you're scrolling on Instagram and boom, those same soccer cleats are right there. And they may even have, you know, 30% off, right? So you have ways of getting people back. But the big thing when it comes to retention is trying to find people who've purchased from you. So that's why you see a lot of these kind of newsletters or sign up for a subscription because you're going to be able to save 20% off on your next purchase. So a lot of it, though, is really playing that fine line between spamming and not spamming. And by that, I mean 
you want to make sure that your message feels tailored to that individual. You don't want it to feel generic. And a great example of that is, let's say you're running an ad on YouTube. You know, you should mention in your ad, you know, YouTubers 20% off or use my YouTube code, whatever it would be. If you're on Instagram, same thing. Mention Instagram. You know, you don't want to just blast out a giant thing. You want it to feel personalized. So I think a lot of it really is understanding and looking at your own data. And like you said with Tom, building out these personas is the best place to start and build a lot of your campaigns around that and then see where it goes. I mean, we've had so many things where you might think this is your ideal client and it could be the farthest thing from reality. And you only find that out through testing and through seeing the data. So, so you so you disagree, so you disagree with the ideology that personas are a thing of the past. You think that they're still valuable and relevant in 2020? I think they are relevant only to start because I would say the exercise that we did with Tom helped us understand more so who we believe our, you know, ideal customer is, and then it gave us a starting point. You know, because I hate seeing people start too broad. You know, like let's say I'm selling um, like I said, soccer cleats are. Let's say soccer cleats, right? I hate people that start too broad that are only targeting, let's say, people that are 18 to 55 that live in California. Great. little too broad. If you can start with people that are 18 to 35 that live in Los Angeles that, uh, you know, have liked a soccer page or are a fan of a certain soccer team, that would give you a little bit better of a starting point and then let that data show if you're right or wrong. You know what I mean? So while it is not as important as it used to be by any means, because now we have technology that is able to build out audiences that are similar to the traffic that we've been pulling to websites. But I do believe there's something very important, at least for the either the marketing manager or the founder of a company, to sit down and take some time to really think about who their customer is because a lot of times you're spending your, your moments thinking of the product it's always the product how can i improve the product how can i improve the speed the coloring the ui you know what i mean but we don't spend a lot of time thinking about a specific person when it comes to who's going to use it you know we just think of them sometimes as users the user is going to click this and do that i think it is important just to get a little bit of that skill in and kind of let that be your your kind of diving point your diving board kind of into the pool of marketing essentially that's fair that's very fair so with that being said i mean let's kind of move into final thoughts here um overall i thought the book was worthwhile um i enjoyed it probably just about as much as the rest of the marketing books that we do it was an easy read it was um very story based there were lots of different examples about best buy and amazon and uh, the guggenheim company that bought uh the Dodgers, and a few other different companies and what they're doing and how they're creating um, these uh, customer-consumer-centric business platforms. So very worthwhile. And uh, yeah, that's kind of of my my final thoughts is it's worth worth reading if you want to learn some more uh, about how to shift your business from a product-based business to a consumer-centric business. What about you, Ross? Yeah, I'd agree as well. It was... It was, a, it was a good book. I don't think it was anything too crazy, too worthwhile, but I think it is very important for people to start to look at their customers as more than just that original sale. You know, I think you really do need to 
understand the full kind of 360 degree um, idea and that top-down look at who your customer is and try to get them to, you know, come to your site, buy your product once, you know, come back again, you know, get them to be an advocate for your brand and tell others. I think it's important to kind of look at just how much value one single customer can bring to you versus you know, $20 in profit for selling a water bottle or something. Okay. You know what I mean? So okay. I think for a lot of people, if if they don't think that way, this will be phenomenal. I think if you're someone who already thinks this way, you're going to see a lot, just out of the examples, when they talked about Best Buy and Amazon, I think you're going to understand you already probably saw that just from analyzing those companies. But I think there's something to note, uh, more so for the people who aren't used to looking at customer lifetime value. Because I think unless you're kind of either taught that or you hear it somewhere, I don't think you naturally are able to build out a full in-depth idea of what your customer is. But once someone actually puts it into customer lifetime value, X, Y, and Z, these are what you need to do, I think it makes it very easy to understand and very easy to implement. So final thoughts. I thought it was a great book. I think it's really more, it's going to be a lot better for someone who's newer to business than someone who's like a seasoned veteran, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that, you know, what it will do for the seasoned veteran is kind of solidify their ideology behind the consumer-centric model and, you know, what CLV really is and, and how um, big companies and organizations are doing it at scale. So I think it'll, it'll really solidify some of, the, some of those ideas. But I agree with you. I think it'll be very valuable for a uh, new entrepreneur or someone that's new to marketing or someone that just got hired out of college or whatever it is. Really, really worthwhile. Um I don't know. I enjoyed the book. I thought it was good. With that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the 52 podcast. This was episode 64. Um, my name is Moore Milo. I'm Ross Hanarelli. This is the 52 podcast, 52 books, 52 weeks, making every single week count. We'll see you next week. Take care.